Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I found out this week, or just a few weeks ago, the most commonly used verse on Christmas cards is found in the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament prophet who prophesied more about the Messiah than any other prophet. And I wanna read to you what is a very familiar portion of scripture found in Isaiah chapter nine. And then I'm gonna explain it and hopefully in a way that we've never seen it and learn how we can get something out of this year. So if you have your Bibles, your devices, you can look on the screen. Every note that I have is going to be on the screen. Be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I'm sure you've heard this, but it says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. If something is given, that makes it a gift. It's so easy in 2020 to look back and understand that Christ is a gift. It is a gift. This is the week where we will exchange gifts. Everybody say gift. I heard a story a long time ago and it, and it bears repeating. There was a, a man who was very successful in business. Uh, he had accumulated wealth and money and homes and businesses and cars and just, and just stuff. And through the accumulation of all this, he finds the meaning of life. He, he finds Christ. And he realizes the greatest legacy that he can ever leave his children is it's not wealth, it's not a car, it's not a vacation home, but it's, it's the relationship that he has with, with God. He realizes that. And so he, he begins to change the way he parents. Well, while this is going on, his, his son, who is the heir to the company to take over his father's fortune, is in college. And he is about to graduate. And he begins dropping hints to his father of what he would like for his graduation present. There's a specific sports car, specific color, specific make and model that he wanted. And he would begin to drop hints to his father, to his father's assistant, just to anyone who would know, he would leave pamphlets of this car laying around just so his father would know. This, it, for the father to buy this car would be no issue. I mean, he had wealth beyond comprehension. He, he would be able to afford this car. It would be a drop in the bucket to him. But the boy, it's what he wants, it's what he wants. So the week of graduation comes and the father calls the boy into his office at the house and says, I have a, I have a gift for you. I'm so proud of you. You worked so hard. And he says, uh, I, I thought long and hard about this gift and uh, I want to honor you, my son. And so he hands him this box and the boy's looking at the box and he goes, well, certainly a car doesn't fit in the box, but we'll see. And so he, he opens the gift. He unwraps the package and inside that package was a brand new Bible. There was a bookmark in the Bible and the father said, this book has changed my life. The stories written about the father in heaven in this book have changed my life. The greatest gift I can ever leave you is found in this book, this, this is my legacy. And the boy was so upset that his father who could have gotten him anything, who could have afforded anything, all he wanted was this car. And he takes that Bible and he slams it down on the father's desk and he goes, I can't believe you. I've worked so hard. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do and all I wanted was this. And the father begins to speak up and he goes, I don't even want to hear it anymore, dad. I've been hearing about this God for so long. And he slams down the Bible and he walks out. And it really became a turning point in their relationship. In fact, they really didn't speak much after that. The boy graduates college and he, he goes and he gets a job of his own and he's done very well for himself and made a name for himself. And, went his own way, gets his own family. And through the years, he, he really didn't speak to his father. And something starts happening in the boy's heart where he says, you know what, I, I need to make amends. The, 
the father was getting older in age and sick. And so the boy says, dad, I want to, I want to talk to you. I want to make things right. And the father says, please come home. We'll talk things, these things through. It was the week he was supposed to go back. He gets a, a call that the father, his health had deteriorated. The boy gets on a plane and before he can makes it home, his dad dies. The attorney meets him at the airport and says, you, you are the heir. You're the executor of the will. All the paperwork is on your father's desk. When you see fit to it, you can go and sign the documents. And he goes into that father's office, the one where he had visited many years ago when he got the Bible. And in the exact same spot on that desk was that Bible. And he picked it up and he opened it to where the bookmark was. And it was open to Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. And it was underlined and it said, if you then being evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give you? And there was a handwritten note to that boy. And as he turned the pages in the Bible, there in the back was a set of keys that fell out. He picked up those keys and walked to his father's garage. And there it was under a cover where it had been for many years, the car of his dreams. See, the problem was the son finally got the gift that he always wanted, but he never opened it because he didn't like the way that it was wrapped. Listen to me. Our heavenly father is an expert in giving strangely wrapped gifts. I want to preach a message to you this morning about the year of 2020. And I just want to call it strangely wrapped gifts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, I thank you for what you have in store for us. God, in 2021, in the coming days and weeks and months, God, you bring us back to our first love. God, I thank you that our greatest days aren't behind us, but God, they're in our future. God, that you're up to something. God, I sense revival is on our cusp. God, I sense that you're doing new things. God, I thank you for what you're gonna do. It's the dawn of a new day. We thank you in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen and amen. Isaiah chapter nine, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. That is the gift. We know that. 2,000 years later, we can read the scripture and say, oh yeah, there's a gift. God sent us a savior. He sent us a redeemer. He, He sent us a Messiah. He sent us the Prince of Peace. But if you look at how this promise is packaged, how it's wrapped, you'll understand When the prophet Isaiah prophesied this, the nation of Israel, especially the northern territories, wouldn't have seen this quite the way that we see it. To understand what Isaiah is saying in chapter 9, you first have to go back to Isaiah chapter 8. If you look at verse 18 in chapter 8, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking. He says, here am I and the children of the Lord have given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When someone tells you consult mediums and spirits who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instructions and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light in them. Look at verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. He's speaking of the nation of Israel. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward They will curse their king and their God. He's talking about a nation. He's talking specifically about the northern territories. He's talking about uh, specifically uh, Neptali. He's, He's telling them that this nation who once had their eyes on God, this nation who once had their 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 trust in God has become apathetic. They, they, they have trusted in other idols. They've trusted in other things. He says they will curse their king. They will curse their God. They will look towards the earth and see only distress. Think about 2020. Only darkness and fearful gloom. And they will trust or be thrust into utter darkness. It's easy to look at 2020 and only see the loss and only see the confusion and only see the darkness and only see the political unrest and only see the division and only see all the things that are happening. In the context of what is happening, 2,700 years ago, the nation of Israel was facing its darkest season ever. They had become apathetic. They had become complacent. 
They lost their first love. And Isaiah is prophesying to a nation during the time that they are now being invaded by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a very evil nation. Assyrians were, were savages. They were terrorists. If, if you think about what the capital of Assyria was, it was Nineveh. This was the place that Jonah didn't want to go. It, it was a place that was known for being dark. It was a place that was known for their sin. It was a place known for, for wickedness. It was, it was called the great city, but it was probably better identified by theologians as a sin city. It was a place that was known for injustice. They would torture, they would mutilate, they would kill innocent Jews. Theologians and commentaries will tell us that these Assyrians would decapitate Jewish men and women. They would skin them alive. They, they would hang them in nooses. They were a very, very vile group of people. This was a nation that was under a cruel and impressive government. And their method of operation was always terrorism. They would terrorize other nations. And this nation, that the Assyrians, would take the nation of Israel into captivity. That is the basis for the prophet Isaiah prophesying. When the, when the Assyrians would invade a nation, they would invade with fear. So fear would invade with them. Division would invade with them. Wickedness would invade with them. Distress would invade with them. And darkness would invade with them. Much like Zebulon and Naphtali, the northern regions of, of, of Israel, I believe in 2020, we've been invaded. Fear has invaded the heart of the church. Complacency has invaded the heart of the church. Apathy has invaded. Division has invaded. I'm telling you, the enemy has played his hand too early. He has invaded us. He has invaded us, but God still has a plan. But because of the invasion, because of fear and darkness, there is hopelessness that is spreading through our nation. And that hopelessness has even crept in the church. L listen to these statistics. This comes straight from the Barna Group. This is since the pandemic started in the United States. Uh, this goes back to March of 2020 in America. I just want to read you a few facts. You can find this from the Barna Group. Since March of 2020, alcohol sales are up 57% in the United States. Prescription drug use is up 71%. Suicides are up 87%. Divorces are up. Domestic violence is up. Criminal activity is up. Depression is up. Weight gain is up. Anxiety is up. Worry is up. Stress is up. Fear is up. And division is up. Well, is there anything that's down in 2020? Yes. Church attendance. Your pocketbooks. Morale. What am I saying? We have been invaded. The church of Jesus Christ has been invaded in 2020. We've been invaded. But in the context of darkness, in the context of hopelessness, verse 18, the prophet Isaiah declares utter darkness. But if you go to verse 1, very next verse of chapter 9, here's what Isaiah prophesies. In the midst of the darkest, most gloomiest, depressed season on the earth, Isaiah says this in chapter 9. Nevertheless, here it is, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Check this out. Beyond the Jordan... The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Have you seen it? Do you see it? Can you read it? The people work, walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. 2020 is a dawning of a new light. I'm saying that because we're living in a time 
where everybody is speaking doom and gloom. It's the end of the world. God is done with this. No more happiness. Oh, it's so dark. It's so bad. What's going to happen? Look at our nation. Look at how bad it is. Look at the division. Look at it politically. Look at the distress. It's only getting darker. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's doom and gloom. Look at it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Everybody say dawned. Listen to me, church. We are not on the brink of doom. We are on the brink of dawn. Do you hear me? We are not on the brink of doom. We are on the brink of dawn. 2021 is a new day. Dawn is coming. The sunlight is coming. Warmth is coming. God's revival is coming. Weeping may endure for the night, but it's joy that cometh in the morning. Can you feel the sunshine? Do you feel the anticipation? Can you feel the warmth? We're not on the brink of doom. I'm telling you this prophetically. We're on the brink of something great. We're on the brink of a new dawn. And it's starting in the church. We have to position ourselves and posture ourselves to think that way and believe that way that God is doing something big. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is given, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He's prophesying of this gift in the middle of a great invasion. Why am I saying that? Because it's often in our greatest gift that God packages his greatest gifts. Or excuse me, our greatest grief that God packages his greatest gifts. It's when you don't see God doing what he's doing that God surprises you better than he ever has. And this has been a year of great grief. Hasn't it? I, I read this at the, at the, around Thanksgiving, I read this article and, and it broke down word searches. It broke down Media topics, it broke down social media posts into categories. And listen to this. The most used phrases in 2020, according to Google searches, social media posts, and media coverage were, were three words. The first phrase that was used more than any other word or, or a variation of this phrase in 2020 was the word pandemic. Now, you can, you can, you, pandemic, it was posted, it was searched, it was tweeted, it was Instagram. It was covered by Fox News and CNN more than any other thing. Pandemic. Everything that goes with that. Uh, uh, mask and social distancing and lockdown and quarantine and Dr. Fauci. Anything that had to do with pandemic was the most talk, talked about, the most searched, and the most covered topic in 2020. The second most searched, discussed, and talked about topic in 2020 was the topic of division. Race, Republican, Democrat, black, white, George Floyd, I can't breathe. Pandemic, division, and number three was politics, election, Trump, Biden, polls. Did he win? Did he lose? Impeachment. Think about this. In 2020, pandemic, division, and politics. Here is what the church has heard in 2020. Pandemic, division, and politics. Pandemic, division, and politics. Pandemic, division, and and politics. Those three phrases, those three thoughts have caused more fear, more confusion, and more disarray, and more division than any other phrases in the history of mankind. But what if, listen to me, what if those three phases, phrases, pandemic, division, and politics were just the wrapping paper to get the church back to what God really wanted to do. And we have to dig through the wrapping to see what's really inside of this. But the reality is church folks have not wanted to look at some things. What if it's just the wrapping paper? That's some ugly wrapping paper. I'm not going to lie to you. Pandemic, division, and politics. I'm tired of all three of those words. Can I give you three new words for 2021? Thank you. 
Can we forget division and politics and pandemic for a minute? Can I give you three brand new words for 2021? I believe these words are prophetic. Write these words down. I'm going to give them to you. Then we're going to, we're going to go and look at them. Write down, behold, beyond, and nevertheless. I'm going to explain what those words mean. Number one, write down the word behold. Everybody say behold. 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 If you want to see dawn and not doom, then behold. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. This is the King James Version. Verse 18 says this. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are signs for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in the Mount of Zion. So when Isaiah wants to announce that in the midst of darkness and confusion that there is hope, he uses the word behold. Behold. Behold is an important interjection that's used throughout Scripture. I, I just want to give you a couple of these words, behold. Actually, in the, in the first Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, when the angels announce to the shepherds who are out in their fields that the Messiah is coming, look at it. In verse, verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. John the Baptist would use the same term when he is announcing. Notice this, this word is always an announcing word. When, when the Messiah is being announced, when, when a gift is coming that no one sees, the word behold is used. It was used for the shepherds in the field by the angels. It's used when John the Baptist is going to announce Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. It tells people to change their focus, to change their attention. He says, behold, here's Jesus. Behold, here's the Messiah. Behold, it literally means to look and see, to place your attention on something. It's a change in attention. I say that because I think as we enter into a new year, we have to change our attention. What has our attention been in 2020? What have we been looking at in 2020? Where have our eyes been on 2020? I'll tell you where it's been. It's been on CNN and Fox News and social media. Inside the church, watch this, inside the church, cable news viewership went up 72% since the pandemic. Inside the church, social media has skyrocketed. This is inside the church, y'all. This, this isn't even like secular. These are, these are inside the church numbers. The average church person in America spends two hours and 48 minutes a day on social media. I broke that down to you. 1,200 minutes a week. On social media and you know what our attention has been on you know what we've fixed our eyes on pandemic division and politics pandemic division and politics you know what church people argue about on Facebook pandemic division and politics If we spent half as much time trying to convert people who are lost to the loving knowledge of Jesus Christ than we did trying to turn a person from another party to ours, hello. No wonder it's so dark. No wonder there's so much stress. It's where our attention's been. No wonder there's so much gloom. But doesn't Hebrews say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus? He is the author and the finisher of this thing. If he starts something, doesn't he always finish it? Then why is it that church people get so paranoid in the middle? He's the author and the finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the mega. He's the A and the Z and the elemental P. He's everything in between. But we got, we got to fix our eyes. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because whatever you fix your eyes on is what you magnify. Whatever, whatever you magnify is what you put your trust in. Whatever you put your trust in is where you gain your greatest expectation. And I think the word behold... Behold. 
is simply a word of expectation. It's acknowledging that you don't like some things you see while simultaneously having the ability to look past the situation and see something else. Behold. If I say behold one more time. I married a girl from Alabama. She's country, y'all. Her eyes get a little longer. She doesn't say ice. She says ice. I got a hose in my front yard I water the lawn with. She calls it a hose pipe. She's country. I love my wife so much. When I married her, we moved to Alabama in 2001. I spent nine years in the enemy's territory. I'm an LSU boy. There ain't nothing like going to the grocery store when you have on your LSU gear and somebody saying, roll tide. I picked up a lot of sayings living in Alabama. Rachel's grandmother would use this saying all the time, lo and behold. I don't know if any of you country folks have ever said lo and behold. Lo and behold is a country term that country folks would say when the outcome of what you expected didn't really happen. It's like you flipped the script. It's like you didn't see that coming. So if somebody from Alabama was telling you a story, they would say something like this. They would say, well, I was at Walmart this week and there was this little snotty-nosed kid and he yelled at his grandmother who was on a scooter. And he called her a four-letter word. And lo and behold, she got off that scooter and beat that boy with a bag of chips. <laughs> lo and behold. It means to your amazement. It means you never saw that coming. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we need to learn how to interject a lo and behold in the middle, middle of seasons of uncertainty. When things don't look good, when things don't feel good, when 2020 comes, you have to say, well, 2020 didn't work out the way that I wanted to, but lo and behold, God is up to something. Lo and behold, God is moving. Lo and behold, we're on the cusp of the greatest revival in history. I know you don't see it coming, but I can feel it in my spirit. Lo and behold, does anybody have a lo and behold in their spirit this morning? I'm telling you, God is up to something. You have to have the ability to see past what you see. Lo and behold. Can I give you the second word? The second word is beyond. Beyond. Everybody say beyond. We have to get beyond where we are. We spend too much time on the B that we never get beyond. It's easy to be in fear. It's easy to be in our circumstance. It's easy to be in our issues. But when you're a real child of God, even when you're in it, you don't be in it. You get beyond it. That you have to get beyond the fear. You have to get beyond what you see. You have to get beyond the pandemic. You have to get beyond the divorce. You have to get beyond the layoff. You got to see beyond what's actually happening. Beyond. Why? Because there is always meaning beyond the moment. That God is doing something beyond here. And if we just look at 2020 as a season of unfortunate, unfortunate events, and you don't understand that God has meaning beyond this, then we will never have hope. Look at this. Nevertheless, verse, verse, verse uh, 1, nevertheless, the, the dimness shall not be so, such as it was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea. Watch this. Beyond Jordan. Beyond Jordan. It's talking about the Jordan River. The Jordan River is always a place of transition. It was a, pla is a place of transition for Jacob. It was a place of transition for Joshua. It's a place of transition for Elisha. I believe that 2020 has been a place of transition for the church. That there's a sifting that's happening. There's a pruning that's happening. That God wants to transition us 
out of a way where we got comfortable and apathetic and transition us into something that's even better, something that's even greater. But understand in the transition, there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some struggles. Every season has both strengths and struggles. But you have to understand Isaiah is saying that there is hope that is coming to the world. His name is Jesus Christ and he's coming from beyond Jordan. It's a place called Bethlehem. And so when we find ourselves in a season of transition, a place of uncertainty, a place of change, we have to understand that there's hope beyond what you can see. Because when you're in it, all you see is what you're in. And that's the hard part. It's hard to see past this. Well, what's God going to do? What's going to happen in the church? What's going to happen in our country? And that's why you've got to look past what you see. That's, that's why you got to be careful who's feeding you. Where are you getting fed from? What's amazing to me is when you turn this thing on and you get on Instagram and social media, you know what it's called? It's called your feed. Why? Because it's feeding you. The enemy has been feeding us. Where are we getting fed? I don't want to get fed from Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. There's a reason why the Bible says it calls the word of God bread. I need to feed on his word. I need to feed on what he says. Why? Because it gives me nourishment for beyond here. Beyond. We got to get beyond. Pastor Paul and I were talking this morning. I, I grew up. I grew up in an Assembly of God church. I, I remember going to church when our whole church, when I first started going there, felt like kind of fit into this section right here. And, and, and there wasn't a lot of people. And, and I'll be real honest, at the time I was going, there was far more older people at the church than there was younger people. And, but, but it was the younger people that would come down. We'd have times of worship. And I remember the young people coming down and we were jumping around and, and, and raising our hands. But there was times when we would sing some older songs where it's like the script got flipped. And you would see the older people all of a sudden getting excited. And I remember back in the old days, do y'all remember when you can clap your hands, help me out older people, when you can clap your hands to every song? Worship team, can we start playing songs where we can clap our hands to? I mean, just throw those in every once in a while. I mean, you remember, you remember every song was like this? It didn't matter what the lyrics were. And I can't sing like Pastor Paul, but we start singing, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Y'all remember that? Okay. We used to sing that song like all the time. And the young people didn't really know the song, Pastor Paul, but when we started singing it, there was something that like leaped in, in the older people. When we started singing Victory in Jesus, and they, they start, you see some old guy with a walker, put his walker down, and he just starts stomping his foot. Like, what's going on? But then I started paying attention to the lyrics. The lyrics. Because you get to the third verse of that, and they started singing, I heard about a mansion. Y'all remember this? Help me out, old people. You remember? He's built for me in. I heard about the streets of gold. Who said it? Beyond the crystal sea. And I believe why the reason why they got so excited is because they realized that there's something beyond where they are. Beyond the crystal sea, there's something beyond the pain, beyond what they see, beyond the circumstances, because they knew there was something beyond this life. The, the prophet Isaiah is there's something that's beyond this transition. It's beyond the doom. It's beyond the gloom. It's beyond your present situation. It's beyond. Why? Because there's always more than what you see. If I could say it in Christmas terms, don't let the packaging fool you. Don't let the packaging fool you. Because if all you see is the packaging of 2020, you will never get the gift inside. Let me prove this to you. So I get some water because I'm out of preaching shape. A few years ago, it was Christmas Day. Rachel and I usually exchange like one gift, like we each get one gift for ourselves. Like she gets me a gift, I get her a gift. Okay? Well, I'll give her her gift. She gives me her gift. It's awesome. And then I said, wait a minute. I got one more gift for you, girl. And so I give her this gift that I had hidden, like behind the tree. And it was a box. It was like this long and about that wide, about this thick. 
She's looking at it. She's like, man, this is weird. What is this? I've never seen a box that looks like this. And she unwraps the paper. In the box, it was a Dell computer keyboard box. So the box was the size of a, of a keyboard. And she looks at me, she's like, for real? You got me a keyboard. I'm like, ASDFJKL semicolon girl, get to typing. She's, she, she's like, me, like, why did you get me? Why did you get me a keyboard for Christmas? And I said, open up the box. You're going to love it. And she says, this better not be a keyboard. I said, just open the box. And there she opens the box. And as she slides it open, y'all, it was two tickets on the sixth row, front and center, to see Celine Dion. Why am I telling you this? Because what's on the box isn't necessarily what's inside the box. And the box may say Dell keyboard, but the gift says Celine. The, the box may say Dollar Tree, but the gift may say Prada. Why? Because what's on the box, what's on 2020, necess- might not be necessarily what's inside the box. Listen to me. The package doesn't have to be pretty for the gift to be good. It doesn't. James says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So the box may say 2020. But the gift may say the plan and the purpose of God to lead us into the greatest revival known to man. And sometimes the box looks bad. But I wonder how many of us miss the gift because we don't like the way that it's boxed. You would be a fool not to take the Celine tickets because you didn't like the box. You'd be a fool not to take the Lexus you don't like the bow and we would be a fool to miss out on what God wants to do inside the church because we didn't like 2020 it's just the packaging y'all are you with me and maybe I came here today just to tell somebody just open the box just open the box you got to dig through the mess you got to dig through the junk you got to dig through all the stuff that the devil has put so much scotch tape on this thing he's put so much nasty you just got to rip through it you got to dig through it you got to get your, your little cutter out your box and just cut through this bag boy and realize that god has got something for us in this thing i'm closing help me out on the keys Last word, nevertheless, nevertheless. Everybody say nevertheless. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. When God speaks about hope and his plan, it starts with this adverb, nevertheless. Nevertheless. It means despite. It means However, it means even though it's used 96 times the word nevertheless in the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not going to read you all 96. I'm going to read you 89 of them, though. Okay, y'all ready? I'm just kidding. I just want to give you a couple of the words nevertheless. Here it is found in Ezekiel chapter 16. When Ezekiel talks about a nevertheless type of love that God has for his people. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you face, that God has a love for you that you can't outrun. He says this, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. He loves me with a nevertheless type of love. It's a love that you could say, well, you know what? I messed up so big and I missed it and I blew it, but nevertheless, I can't escape his love. He still has a plan for me. If I blow it a hundred times, he still has a plan for me. Even if I miss it tomorrow, he still has a plan for me, nevertheless. Luke chapter 5 talks about a nevertheless obedience. It's a story about Peter and the boys fishing. I told you briefly about this a few weeks ago when I was here. It's when they were fishing all night and they caught nothing. You ever, you ever did that? You ever feel like you're doing all that you can do? Working as hard as you can work, praying with all you got, and you get no results? I feel like 2020 has been that way for a lot of people. That you've done exactly what you need to do. And Jesus comes up, he says, y'all catch anything? He knows the answer. And he said, no, master, we ain't caught nothing. And he says, well, cast your nets 
to the other side. Simon said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. See, before Jesus spoke to their situation, their biggest problem was empty nets. But when they take hold of a nevertheless obedience, now they don't have room to store the fish. Nevertheless. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, we were troubled on every side. Nevertheless, not distressed. We were, we were perplexed. Nevertheless, not in despair. Persecuted. Nevertheless, not forsaken. We were cast down. Nevertheless, not destroyed. It means even in spite of. I don't know if you could feel that in 2020. That in spite of 2020, I'm telling you, God is on the cusp of doing something so big. He's getting us back to our first love. He's stripping away the polishedness of church. He's stripping away the, the, the attractiveness of what got people here. He's stripping away the fluff. He's stripping away the candy-coatedness of the gospel. He's telling, we don't need the candy-coatedness of the gospel anymore. We need the meat of the gospel. We need the meat of the word. We need to get back to words like repentance. Nevertheless, Well, half the church left. Good. Because something happens when there's a remnant. Something happens when God's people get hungry for something new. You you know what's happened in the church? We've been hungry for something new for so long but it's like we've just been so complacent to stay the same that we, we want something new, but we just settle for the old. It's like I, I took my son the other day, went to a fast food restaurant. He goes, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get something new at, at this fast food restaurant. I'm like, great. You always get a number three. Get something new. Try something new. And so you know what happens? We go to, we go to the, the, the line, and he gets up there. And I say, like, go ahead, son, order. And he starts looking at the menu. Um... Um, um, and how many know they got the same menu on this side as they do on this side? Um, let me see. Um, give me a number three. And I feel like that's the church. Like God, we're hungry for something new. We want to move. We want your spirit. We want revival, but, um, um, Give me the number three. It's what I've always gotten. I've read this scripture that I'm about to read to you probably a hundred times. And I just wrote this in my Bible. This is for the church. This is for the church. This is for the church. So this is for you. you, Don't get mad at me. I'm just a messenger, okay? Romans chapter 13. New Iberia. Our Savior's church. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. I noticed I didn't get any amens on that one. The hour has come for us to wake up from our slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Here it is. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 2020 is almost over. The day is almost here. The darkness is almost over. The sun will rise again. I'm telling you, the gloom is nearly over because the sun, the S-O-N, will rise again in this place. It will be called the place of the house of prayer again. A house of worship again. The sun will rise again. The sun will rise again. It's the promise of Isaiah in the middle of complacency. He says, here's the promise. It's it's the promised child. Look what he says. For unto us a child is born. Here's what he says. Here's the gift. Here's what I gave you. 
the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on him. Not on Donald Trump. Not on Joe Biden. Not on the Democratic Party. Not on the Republican Party. Not on the White House. He said, put it on me. The government shall be on me. He says he will be called wonderful counselor. In a world that is hurting, y'all, we need a counselor. We need somebody who can bring sides together. It's not, it's not somebody in the White House. It's somebody that's on the throne. We need a wonderful counselor in a confused and divided world. He says he is mighty God. That word in the Hebrew is El Gabor. It translates to he's a warrior God. It means he's the God that fights my battles. He's the God that wins my battles. He wins every time. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he defeats the enemy every time he comes against your soul. He says he is the everlasting father. He's not a stepdad. He's a good father. He's an everlasting father. He's the kind that doesn't run out on me. He's the kind that doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me and he calls me child because he's my daddy. And he's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. You know when you need the prince of peace? When all hell breaks loose. And you know what I love about this prince? He's the only prince that I've ever read about that is both prince and king at the same time. And here's what the Bible says about my king. If you go to Revelation chapter 21, talking about King Jesus, and it says, he sat upon the throne. Now just stop right there. Jesus sat upon the throne. Do you know at what point in history he sat on the throne? If you read the, the book of Hebrews, it says immediately after he defeated death, hell, and the grave in Hebrews chapter 10, and the, the high priest offered all of his sacrifice for our sins, it says he sat down, Pastor Paul, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. I love that he sa it says he sat down. Why did he sit down? Do you know when you sit down? When your workload is done. You are on your feet all day, but when you get home and it is finished, you sat down. He sat down. He's not popping Prozac. He's not roaming the halls of heaven trying to figure out what to do. He said, I died for this thing. Victory is mine. It is finished. I'm going to sit down. He sat down. So he sat down upon the throne, and here's what you need to hear for 2021. Behold, I make all things new. But the only way you can get something new this Christmas season is if you unwrap it. If you're just tired of just the way we've been doing stuff, just going through the motions, just coming to church, you're saying, behold, God, you got something brand new for me in 2021. Would you just stand at your feet? Come on, I'm digging through. I'm digging through. I'm digging through. Come on, just, just say that with me. I'm digging through. Listen to me. You're going to have to dig through. There was a story in Mark's gospel. The Bible says Jesus was preaching in a house just like this. The house had gotten so congested with people. And there was this man who couldn't walk, but he had four friends that said, we're going to get you to Jesus. And they tried to get through the door and they couldn't get through. And do you remember what it says? They went up on top of the roof and they began to dig through. Why am I saying that? Because the way that we've been getting through for years, God said, I shut that door. If you really want something new, if you really want revival, if you really want me to show up, if you really want my presence, if you really want my glory, showing up for 72 minutes on a Sunday ain't going to cut it. We got to dig through. We, we got to fight. We got to press in. Right now, if you just raise your hand all over this place. We're going into a new year. 
it may get darker for a little bit, but I'm telling you prophetically, doom is not on the horizon. The dawn is. The dawn is. The dawn is. So don't you quit now. Don't you dare quit now. Don't quit. Don't quit. Navy SEALs ring the bell more times than, than not in the middle of the night. And guys that have studied, the guys that quit during this Navy SEAL training said if, if they can just make it to the morning, if they can just see the sunrise again, it's like they get a new win. I'm telling you, a new win is coming. Don't lose heart. It's not doom. It's the dawn. Can we just ask God to do something new right here in New Iberia as we enter into a new year? Come on, right now, we just lift your voice to me. Father, we thank you. God, we, we thank you, God, that we've looked at this pandemic and we've looked at division and we've looked at politics and we've seen mess. But God, we're digging through. We're digging through this mess. God, we're digging through the stuff that we don't like. And God, we're digging deep. God, we're going to get down in our spirit. God, we ask God to do something brand new. Do something brand new in 2021. Do it brand new in my life. God, do it in this house. Do it in, in New Iberia. God, we ask for revival to come. God, revival to come. God, God, we, we know we had some good old days, but God, we thank you that the good old days are ahead of us. God, we ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit to be in this place. God, God, we ask that you send sinners, God, the ones that everybody gave up on God God send them here God let this be a house of restoration God God let your presence rest in this house God God let people find healing here God let, let them find your son here God let them find your presence here God thank you that you're returning us God that your house shall be called the house of prayer God we ask you to do something brand new I thank you that you declared behold I make all things new. In Jesus' name. And if you receive that, would you just shout amen with me this morning? God bless you, Pastor Sean.